Today's program was brought to you by Patina Events at Brooklyn Botanic Garden, an idyllic location for weddings, corporate events, and parties of any style. Visit us at patinaevents.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're bringing you four stories about lost and found culinary treasures. We are searching for what will be lost, and we're trying to rejuvenate it. What we try to do is collect these sourdoughs that contribute to the biodiversity of sourdough in order to store them, to document them, and be able to preserve them for the future. It's bringing back the history and just being part of that time that just... It's, there's nothing like it. You yeah. know, there's, there's nothing like it. When fame comes late, uh, I'm sure it's just as sweet as when it comes earlier. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and 3. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Airway. Today is the last episode of the winter a season here at uh, Heritage Radio. Actually, no, spring season here. <laughs> we're going to go into the summer um, in mid-May or so. But uh, today we're going to end the season with a bang because I have in the studio a wonderful guest. She is a, a multiple cookbook write author. She's also the founder of Arthur Street Kitchen. And um, her latest book is called Family, a new vegetarian comfort food to nourish every day. It's none other than Hetty McKinnon. Hi, Kathy. Hey, thanks for, <laughs> well, for coming. I'm so happy to be back in the uh, at Heritage Radio. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you came to Brooklyn. You came here from Sydney, where yes. you started your company. I've been living here a while. Didn't come that far today. <laughs> right, yeah. No, that's awesome. <laughs> of course, yes. I'm glad that you are here in Brooklyn, is what I meant, um, and brought your, your business here, your cookbooks here. Um, this is your third cookbook. Third cookbook. Yeah. Um, the first book, Community, um, is only available in Australia. So this is my uh-huh. second book in the US. I love it. I love how decorative the the naming is. Mm-hmm. Um, family. Yeah. You know, it's kind of just like you're laying down the gauntlet. Like this That's right. is a book for family yeah. eating. The, usually when I write a book, the first thing that comes to me is the title. Mm. And sometimes, like particularly with Neighborhood, my second book mm-hmm. or the, and my first book in the US, I didn't actually fully know what was going to be in the book uh-huh. and but I had the title I had the title yeah. for months before I had awesome. the in- interior so um, I'm kind of very big picture you know I take yeah. a theme and the my rest my books are very story driven so mm-hmm. that's when I have a title I know that's kind of the, the story that I want to tell so I am so jealous that is so like awesome of you to like take it from such a high level mm-hmm. and then translate all these ideas and thoughts into it. I, I don't mean jealous, but I mean, I do think it would be really fun to like, just like come up with like these one words that really encapsul- encapsulates yeah. what you're trying to get across. Like, yeah. I, don't know, like, I mean, I think with, like, with community, it was easy because mm-hmm. it came out of a business that was in my community in Sydney. Mm-hmm. So I had a salad business mm-hmm. and I delivered salads to my neighborhood for four years on my bike Mm -hmm. and that's how I got started and so this that book was um, originally self-published and it was just made for fun for the people in my community so that's why it was called community and it kind of took on a life of its own right Um, right so from that I've been very lucky to have 
this, you know, rich storytelling kind of at my fingertips because it's all led from that book. Got it. And it kind of goes on ebbs and flows and but it always kind of ends up as something that is um, very personal to me in mm-hmm. a way. And this book in particular is probably the, my most personal book. Yeah, let's talk about that because you weave um, many elements of food philosophy into this mm-hmm. sort of seamlessly. Like you don't spend a lot of time saying why it's vegetarian. Like you don't like, yeah. you know, say like it just kind of is baked into the DNA of this book and yeah. your everyday cooking. Yeah, I mean. Like you're not talking about like animal welfare or something yeah, like that, Yeah, I mean, right? that's not my particular way. I'm mm-hmm. very passionate about vegetarianism now. Mm-hmm. I've been a vegetarian for 25 years Mm -hmm. and um, it is something I'm passionate about but I don't I want my food to be inclusive Mm -hmm. so this is actually the first time a book has ever had vegetarian on the on the front page I see Um, all my books are vegetarian but my food is also very inclusive and the people that eat it don't actually particularly think they're eating vegetarian food so my mission with my recipes is to give people a lot of flavor. Like I'm always chasing flavor mm-hmm. in everything I do and inventive ways of using vegetables and legumes and grains to the point where you're not really even thinking no, about labeling exactly. the food. I think labels in food are very divisive. Mm-hmm. I think if someone hears that, a let's go to a vegetarian restaurant, sometimes yeah. it's kind of a turnoff for people. So, right, it's like, oh, well, that's not for me or yeah, something. Like, yeah, like I don't feel like being vegetarian tonight. So, And likewise with uh, your Chinese culture, yeah. um, that is blended seamlessly into the recipes in this book. Yeah. But it's not like you're like, you're not like this... You didn't say, <laughs> this is an Asian-inspired cookbook, yeah. let's say. <laughs> I guess, um, I mean, all my books have an Asian chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I started cooking, I, this is going to sound f- weird, but I found myself becoming, feeling more Asian. Oh. Um, I mean, I'm, uh, my parents are both Chinese. Um, they immigrated to Australia in their, my dad in his teens, my mum in her early 20s. So I grew up with a very Chinese upbringing at home. Mm-hmm. We ate Chinese food. We spoke Chinese. Um, but then I was in Australia. So there was this kind of two cultures, two worlds. And I never cooked Chinese food or Asian food or used Asian ingredients before I started cooking salads. Oh. And salads is probably the most un-Chinese yeah, well, dish you could uh, really come up with. <laughs> but my mum would come to the kitchen and cook with me. And so she would introduce, not introduce, like she would challenge me to use Asian ingredients in mm. my salad. So I'd be cooking something with um, Brussels sprouts and mm. some, you know, kind of Western or Mid- Middle Eastern type mm. of salad. And she would throw a bag of seaweed at me and say, why don't you use this? I think this this would be great for wow. a salad. So very early on, I started incorporating um, a lot of Asian flavors in my salads um, yeah. and using like very traditional Asian ingredients like lotus root and, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like hoisin sauce and, um, you know, Chinese sesame paste. And so there was a lot of that influence from the very beginning. But that's because my mum was at my – well, I used to cook from home. So mm-hmm. she would be there kind of breathing down my neck. So um, this book has been – the recipes in here are a little different. They're more traditional. Um, right. Some of them are very strange – Dishes that my mum used to cook. Like the lettuce soup? Yeah, like she, um, yeah, like this is, I think it's an Asian mum thing where (laughs) they spend hours cooking and then she'll come to the table 
and she'd take a bowl of rice and say, I'm not hungry. And she would <laughs> tip, you know, some either sometimes just boiling water, uh-huh. but often, you know, like every night soup. she'd make soup. Uh-huh. So she'd put the soup in and then she might throw a few other things from around the table into that bowl and that would be her dinner. Mm-hmm. So there would be like five or six incredible dishes on the table, but she would have the rice in soup with right. with a few, I don't know, like maybe some stir-fried vegetables or something. Yeah. Um, so there's that and there's like her version of the tomato and egg dish, which is a very traditional Cantonese, Cantonese yeah. dish, um, which being away from her and away from home is, I feel... I didn't, it wasn't one of my favorite dishes growing up, mm. but I remember she made it and it stood out because it was so strange. <laughs> you know, like you're, you're part Chinese, you know yeah. that uh, tomatoes are not very big in, in Asian, no, but in Chinese cooking anyway. So this, this particular dish was so strange and I always, I always think about it and <laughs> I find myself looking for this dish everywhere when I go out. I found a few places in New York that have it. But um, it's easy enough to make it home. So Yeah. And I love how you write in the beginning that, you know, food, cooking for family is so tied to those distinct memories of your family. Um, yeah. I mean, dinner was a big deal at our house. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom really cooked. She was a homemaker. And she was an immigrant, didn't speak English. So she really kind of made her home her, like, project mm-hmm. and cooking her project. So she did. She just cooked all day. It was. It brought her such joy. Um, when we were younger, we probably thought, oh, this is kind of tiresome, so much food all the time, you know. Um, But then we just now, looking back, I realised how seminal those moments were around the table. Like, it was so consistent, you know, like, we had an early dinner, five o'clock, because my dad rose early for work. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'd all sit around the table, and it was loud and and fast and boisterous, and, Uh you know, she would cook all day, and we'd eat in five to ten minutes uh-huh. and she'd lament oh why why do you guys eat so fast but it's <laughs> kind of like you know we'd eat we'd get our bowls and take them back to the kitchen and but it was that consistency it's so grounding yeah and I think particularly now the world is so crazy you know the world is and I'm a different mother than she was mm-hmm. um, you grew up in a different culture different culture yeah. and a different world and our kids are growing up in different worlds but mealtimes like just Sitting around the table is this act that is that can bring such um, stability to mm-hmm. kids' lives and to my life too. I mean, I rely on that moment to sit down and catch up with my kids because yeah. life, particularly in New York, is kind of crazy. It, it is crazy, and so, you're a working uh, entrepreneur, yeah, yeah. Um, and a mom, and a cookbook author, and all this, you know, writer. <laughs> and uh, you still, you know, have you have some great tips for making time like 10 minutes to, yeah. to cook something. Yeah, I mean, if you've um, got 10 minutes, and it doesn't need to be. I mean, this this book is, the recipes are a lot easier using pantry ingredients, like a mm-hmm. lot of tinned beans and, um, you know, like easy vegetables like broccoli, like things that are easy to find and not don't require hours and hours of chopping. Right. Um, I mean, the meal can be a cheese toasty. It doesn't really matter. It's yeah. just, it's really more the ritual of, of sitting and bringing that to your children because I find that we all are so much more open when we're sitting together uh-huh. at a table and yeah. you feel 
comfortable, you know. So you can find out a lot about people if you sit down at a table and That's share true. a meal. <laughs> it's true. And I love how you, you know, you say family food isn't fancy or complex like you, like you yeah. just mentioned, but maybe come up with a few classics in your repertoire. Yeah, it is about classics. Uh-huh. I mean, I find myself using, I do actually use this book all the time. Uh-huh. Like sometimes when I come home, I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to make? I don't have anything in the fridge. Um, I try and shop smart, like I try and always have some legumes in, mm-hmm. in the pantry. So there's a whole page in the introduction that's all about six ways to use a tin of legumes. Like I'm mm-hmm. not a- even asking people to, um, you know. Follow a recipe. Yeah, yeah like you can just smash them up. You can pan fry. Pan frying legumes, like pan frying chickpeas is one of my f- probably staples. We eat a lot of chickpeas in my house now. And like pan frying them in, in like olive oil with heaps of spices, like whatever spices, like cumin, coriander, um, turmeric if you've got it, paprika, whatever you've got, um, just adds so much flavor. Uh-huh. And the kids love it because it's kids like, like it. yeah. it's crispy. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And introducing those flavors to your kids from an early point yeah. so that you can yeah, all I eat mean, the same thing, basically. Yeah, I mean, my kids yeah. are good now, but it hasn't mm-hmm. always been this easy. I mean, mm-hmm. they're now almost 13, 11, and 9. So mm-hmm. they, and also through this book, the other aspect of this book, which I don't particularly talk about too much in the book, is that through writing this book, our family now eats vegetarian at home. So uh, yeah. my family have never been vegetarian, and so I used to wow. cook several meals. So your parents? Yeah. My, no, well, in my okay, family, like me, me okay. my <laughs> husband, my kids, um, I, don't, I no longer cook any meat at home uh-huh. um, for them. So I used to make a meal for myself and then add on some sort of meat right. you know, addition, like a sausage or a drumstick or something. Yeah. And now these recipes have allowed me just to, we can just all be vegetarian at home. They, these are so the, the recipes are geared towards comfort food and like with particular ingredients and flavors that kids are comfortable eating. Yeah. Yeah. Less herbs. Um, more less like, herbs. I think that was interesting that yeah. people didn't like this whole shebang of herbs for some reason. And yeah. it was just maybe too much. And, and, and not only kids, like adults too uh-huh. sometimes don't love a lot of herbs. Like I would... In my previous books, I would use like three or four yeah. <laughs> herbs in one dish. I love herbs, but I realized that, you know what, this could be like, say, a, like a shaved um, vermicelli, like a vermicelli salad with shaved vegetables. My kids would eat that, but yeah. if it's full of herbs, it probably is a bit of a turn off for them. So um, it's just like having those little tips. Now I sometimes serve herbs on the side. Yeah. Because I, I can put them on because mm-hmm. I love um, but other people around the table might not love so much. Yeah. So little things like that make a huge difference. That's so interesting to learn what you have, how, how you've evolved your cooking. Yeah, from, definitely. From books. Yeah, definitely. And just life. Yeah, and life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, going back to your Chinese heritage, mm-hmm. um, we were talking a little bit um, about how, you know, a lot of people have certain expectations when they see a Chinese person cooking. Have you come across like people being like, okay, we're, uh, I don't know, <laughs> expecting a certain thing when they see you, but I know you've been in the business for a long time. Oh, uh, you mean expect like Asian dishes? Right, or right. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think I, because I started making salads, mm-hmm. which is a very un-Chinese type of dish. I don't feel like people even associate with me with being Chinese. <laughs> It's a, it's a very strange thing. I mean, I, um, 
I probably would be called more Australian than Chinese, even though I'm 100% Chinese but born in Australia. So mm -hmm. um, I think I'm always trying to use it as an opportunity yeah. that um, I feel like for me in food and particularly in Australia, I've never had bound boundaries. I've never felt like I needed to, you know, like, uh, break down stereotypes. I feel mm -hmm. like I've never had those stereotypes. So realizing that, I use it as an opportunity to educate people about um, multicultural food and about all the different ingredients you can use to create a really simple dish. Mm -hmm. So I think food is such an equalizer and people understand food where they might not particularly understand politics right or it's very um mm. you know it's approachable yeah. and it's non-threatening so in many in many ways now being in the u.s where cultural identity and um being in touch with who you are and cultural appropriation and all those um the the discourse around race is much um, greater in America. It's much more evolved than Australia. Definitely, uh -huh. I feel like in Australia you can't really even talk about it yet. Uh. Can't talk about racism and you can't talk about um, minorities as much as in in America. And, and I find it's really freeing to be um, in a country where you can have these conversations. Uh -huh. And so even though I'm not, I'm not particularly political in yeah. anything I write or my books are definitely not political, um, I just use my cooking and food as an opportunity to just educate people about all the positivity of having, of being, of seeing the, the opportunities in multicultural, in a multicultural world. So Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a lot about, about more and also your journal, Peddler, which is a multicultural food journal. Yeah. Um, but we're going to cut to a quick little commercial break and we'll be right back chatting more. Patina Restaurant Group offers unparalleled service in New York's most iconic locations, including Lincoln Center, Rockefeller Center, and Macy's Herald Square. Patina is also the exclusive caterer at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. From meetings and presentations in the glass-walled atrium, to galas in the renovated Palm House, and intimate wedding showers at Yellow Magnolia Cafe, your event will be perfectly imagined and customized at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. You can also enjoy a la carte brunch and lunch at the picturesque Yellow Magnolia Cafe overlooking Lilypool Terrace. Executive chef Morgan Jarrett's unique menu offers warm, distinctive cuisine with a focus on local vegetables, grains, and sustainably sourced meats and fish. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Akiko Katema, and I'm the host of Japan Needs here on HRN. By interviewing fascinating personalities in Japanese culinary culture, I try to demystify Japanese cuisine. My guests have included sake brewers, tea experts, Japanese whiskey experts, and sushi chefs. You can find Japan Needs whenever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. All right, we're back chatting more with Hetty McKinnon. Her latest book is called Family. Uh, and you're also the founder of the independent food journal, ex uh, Peddler, Exploring the Multicultures of mm -hmm. Food. That word yes. again has come up, multicultures. Yes, it has. Um, Peddler is a magazine, I think it's into its fourth, I say think, because it's gone so fast. Uh, we launched started in, in 2017, 2017, right? 2017. Yeah. So mm. the first issue was Chinatown. Mm. And... 
I found myself thinking, I wish every issue could be themed Chinatown. Because <laughs> I feel like I didn't even much. touch yeah. on. It's our first issue, and obviously the magazine's evolved too. But first one, um, I think it came out of... Be, I think Peddler really is here because I'm living away from my family, like my family in Australia uh-huh. and my, my yeah. mom, And um, I find myself really... Um, sort of gravitating towards my culture a lot uh-huh. more and we recognize and being away from home I really recognize the things that I find I miss the most are just like little small moments from childhood or a little memory um, like making dumplings with my mum or yeah. just hearing or smelling her hands which I always smelled of ginger or the sound of the exhaust when she was cooking the very overhead sensory, yeah, yeah just very mm-hmm. sensory and very like small moments so i really wanted to create this magazine about home cooks um and about those small moments yeah. so the stories in there are not they're not investigative investigative um uh-huh. they're not huge explorations of a theme they really are very small moments um that it's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Um, sorry. It's, it's a very, very, um, yeah, it's, it's very personal to a lot of people. Right. And even if that you're from a different, what I found is even if you're from a different culture than the culture you're reading about, mm-hmm. it still resonates. People, the reaction has been so um, strong and, and emotional and... You know, people email me and um, tell me about, you know, crying when they read stories or it reminded them of their grandmother or they read it aloud. I've got this one couple that reads aloud to one another. So it's just filling us this gap, I think. And this, I think right now in the world, people are looking for these small comforts. And Mm -hmm. I think you can really find that in the food. Yes. Yeah. So the first issue was Chinatown. The second issue... um, which I didn't bring today, is, is childhood. Uh-huh. And third issue was a single ingredient called rice. Because rice. rice we found Brilliant. was... Um, we couldn't find one ingredient that was more, uh, you know, like a staple in more cultures than rice. I know. Yeah. Um, and so that was a really fun issue. And the next issue actually, which is out in, I think, a few weeks, um, is called is uh, themed grandma. So Oh, perfect. Yeah, they're grandma stories. Ah, it's pretty exciting. I that can't one's going to be incredible. The photography is so beautiful. Thank you. And um, I love that there's just, you know, one photograph of ginger, I guess. Yeah. But, or like, you know, and it's, then um, atmospheric ones. Yeah, cooking. I mean, the photography was something very... It was, it was a deliberate... Um, move to have very quiet photography too like you Mm -hmm. know I think in food right now everything's very loud particularly Ah, with social media you know you go on and everything's very bright colors and in your face in your face and close crops and um it's just very overwhelming sometimes for all the senses so what we wanted peddler to be is very quiet almost muted colors Uh it's like take a step back and just rest for a right. moment and enjoy the story or enjoy the recipe um, because there are a lot of recipes in Peddler. It's recipe driven. Right. Um, and to an extent, having done Peddler really influenced family because uh-huh. it influenced the photography in the way we shot. Like we have a particular way of shooting some of the stories in Peddler, which is almost like bird's eye view, like over a shoulder or it, it makes you 
feel like you're, you're part of room. yeah you're in the yeah. room so it really um it actually influenced the kind of art direction mm. of family for, well, for me personally it did it was my whole kind of look for the for the book um and this was by Louisa Brimble, yeah, the photographer. Um, she came on the show for the Wild Cookbook. Yeah, yeah, so Louisa's one of my best friends. And really? And we have worked together on... So we shot Community together ah. before I was an author and before she was really... She was just starting out in photography then. And now she's a James Beard uh, exactly. nominee for oh the Wild God. Cookbook. We've got everything yeah. crossed for her. So <laughs> we're so proud of her. She's, awesome. um, she's come over twice to shoot my books. So both mm. Neighborhood and Family were shot in New York. Um, oh, I love how like this photo right here. You yep. can see the translucent mung beans. Yep. Through the the, the light in the back and the steam. Oh, yeah, and the steam. So all our food is shot, you know, in real time. Really, there's no waiting around. Mm. Um, we sh- we shoot so fast. Louisa, <laughs> we have fun too. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Is that we're very unconventional f- cookbook shoots <laughs> for family. On our first day, we shot. And if you've made a cookbook, you'll know. This is pretty unheard of. We shot 22 recipes in the first day, which was about a third of the book. Okay. And we just worked so fast because we were setting up tables and it was shot like you were eating dinner. So we, ah. it was um, an incredible way of shooting a book. And we wanted it to be like food in motion. Like this is really happening. It was not really even styled. It was styled to the extent it was put in a bowl, uh-huh. but none of the real the table scenes were really styled. It was I know, a, a I actual noticed that sta- there's this yeah. dog, and then there's this stack of random books on the table. Yeah. It's just <laughs> very it's real so very, life, and that's what real. I wanted yeah. the feel to be. Mm-hmm. So because it means something. It's, yeah. it's not like about the presentation. You know, you write that. You know, this whole style of cooking is not trying to be fancy or yeah trying to be absolutely I mean I'm a home cook I don't I don't call myself a chef um even though I've been in commercial kitchens before I it's very important to me because being a home cook has certain connotations but for me they're all positive mm-hmm. like none of my the connotations of calling someone a home cook are negative for me it's it's a compliment because mm-hmm. so uh, home cooking is so rich and there is so much to be learned from from the elders in the kitchen. And for me, like my mum's the biggest influence on me. Um, and she wouldn't call herself a chef too, would she? No way. <laughs> no way. I think that, I mean, I think home cooks are, for me, for me, they're the heroes because mm-hmm. they're the ones who are putting table on, you know, dinners on the table every mm-hmm. night. And it's, it's a very different world to the chef world, but it's um, no less demanding. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, there's, uh, there's a lot you can learn from home cooking. It's just all the flavors and just all the little techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because when you cover home cooks, most of them are women. Yeah. And that's kind of the world that I'm kind of embracing right. and celebrating. So what what if somebody didn't grow up in a household where the mom cooked or mm-hmm. where any parent cooked or where yeah. anyone cooked? Yeah. Well, yeah. How should they start to build some traditions and memories and Yeah, well we've met especially through Pedler, we've met a few of people um and we're there's some stories coming up um about people that didn't grow up with food or 
where a family breakup has, you know, kind of meant there's no more home-cooked dinners uh -huh. or beautiful lunches to take to school or whatever. So I think that's what I try to do with family is really the, the story of family is keeping it really simple yeah. and not make I mean I think guilt there's so much guilt in food like there's bad food there's good food there's mm -hmm. you know like the whole with the whole indulgent indulgent and then this is your you know diet day or Sensible. whatever yeah I think just keeping things you know there are some I think just actually valuing meal time is, yeah. a, is a good place to start okay it's just actually seeing the worth in it mm -hmm. um and then just I think cooking actually cooking I think I've met a lot of people who don't cook for dinner and I think just keeping it really simple and not trying to be a chef from the very first yeah. day and yeah. then using, finding like, as I, as you mentioned before, like a repertoire, um, you know, building those things into your daily life, like picking up. Your favourites. Yeah, your yeah. favourites and mm -hmm. things that are non-threatening. Like if your kids love pasta, then make pasta twice a week mm -hmm. but maybe make it with a, a sauce that's a little bit more interesting than just red sauce there's there's a pasta um pasta night chapter in family yeah. so they're just sauces and like i'm sure that some of them would be too um intimidating for children maybe but there's also there's some fun ideas in there like a cream corn dressing mm -hmm. I love um that. a tahini dressing but it's kind of mixed with some peas and I mean, my kids really love it. It's creamy, but it's not cream. So it's, it's a bit of a healthier take on comfort food. Okay. Um, yeah. There's a pesto that's like a roasted tomatoes with walnuts. Uh -huh, walnut, yep. Yeah, so it's just a little bit of a different take on something that's a classic. It um, sounds like your mom was a little crafty, too, with some ingredients. She used tomato sauce yeah. in, uh, to create sweet and sour sauces. Yes. Yeah. I think it's been uh, – that's that sauce is wonderful. It's, mm -hmm. it's um, ketchup with uh, – with like apple cider vinegar and mm -hmm. some and some tamari or soy sauce and super garlic. easy. And so Everyone easy. has that at home. It's delicious, uh -huh. and you know I serve it with like a ramen noodles, and I do this cauliflower that's in a chickpea batter. But you could just roast the cauliflower, or you could just do the <laughs> almost the ramen noodles on their own. Uh -huh. I mean, I just think keep it simple. Don't try and be be a chef overnight. Uh -huh. Yeah, keep it really simple. There's one um, soup in there that I've heard a lot of people really love. It's just a pearl barley with chickpeas and lemon. Okay. And some kids love lemon and some adults love lemon. I love lemon. Uh -huh. um, so for me, that's a really quick pantry meal. It's ready in about, I don't know, 15 minutes or something. And just always keep challenging yourself mm -hmm. um, by bringing in like one element that's a little bit different. And Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And I love how you have so many cultures in here. I mean, we didn't get through all of them, but you have a Korean looking tofu stew. Yes, yes. Tons of pastas. There's a Gruyere pudding, yes. bread pudding. I mean, a, a lot of those are influences of, I mean, we grew up in Australia. Australia is very multicultural food-wise. We, we are very advanced and probably ahead of the world in the way cultures are in, um, incorporated into just everyday eating. Like an, a normal cafe will have all your zatas and harissa and all those flavors without being branded a Middle Eastern cafe. Uh -huh. You know, it's just a normal cafe on the corner. Um, so that has been a very big part of all my books. So people would might say, oh, why do you cook all these with these Middle Eastern flavors? It's because... 
I grew up eating these flavors just mm-hmm. at, at my local cafe. Um, but then there's a lot of influences from being in America too, is like Korean food. It's not something I ate a lot of mm-hmm. in Australia. And I now am fairly obsessed with Korean flavors because uh-huh. I, I feel like I didn't no Korean food until I came to New York. Ah. Um, and then there's also a chana masala from Chitra. Chitra, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there are, um, a, I think I say, I call it the beating heart of this book is those family stories. Right. Um, which from people around the world. And Ch- their families. Chitra Agrol yeah. um, from Brooklyn Deli is one of them where she shares her great aunt's chana masala. Um, and there's also, you know, a range of t- stories from other families and with the common language of how important family cooking is and what it, uh, what family cooking means to different families across mm-hmm. the world, because I thought that was also very important to show like, across cultures, um, food and the act of eating together is a fairly, it, it's the same across all cultures. Yeah, I love that. And I think that you've done a, such a beautiful job of bringing these stories together. Yeah, they're very um, special. It's very story heavy, as you were yes. saying. Uh, I love it. Well, it looks like that's about all the time we have for today. But I mean, we could go on forever. We but could. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope everyone gets uh, gets to 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 cook from this book and read it and absorb it. Um, it is called Family from Pesta- Prestel Publishers. Mm-hmm, that's correct. It is beautiful and it is, uh, it's it's going to last a long time, I'm sure, because there's so many recipes in here. But uh, thank you so much, Hetty, for your time and for joining us today for the last spring episode here. Yay, on thank you so words. much for having me, Kathy. It's a All real right. pleasure. Yeah, um, happy spring, everyone. And uh, we'll see you in the summer for Heritage Radio Network. is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.